there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Everyone has had the experience of saying something that triggers a reaction in another person that's over the top. We call it overreaction. When somebody overreacts, you say, oh, hi, how are you? Jeez, oh, did you come here this morning or what happened? And they just go ballistic. And then, you know, you stepped on a landmine. Ordinary relationships can be like walking through a minefield, blindfolded. We never know when our next step is going to trip the trigger on a long buried mine. Our blindness is the result of our ignorance about ourselves. But what is it that makes us blind? See, we think it's the other people. Well, those people are so messed up. They have so many issues. They have so many things they haven't dealt with. Is this not true? When we walk through a minefield with people, we realize that they are the ones with the issues and that we're liable to trip one of them at any moment and they'll blow up. So it's all about them, isn't it? We, right where we like it. <laughs> That's where we like to have it, all about them. We don't want to see our part in that. But our part in that is our blindness. And our blindness is the result of our own self-ignorance, our ignorance about ourselves. Bruce Nicole said, There are very many clever, self-harming eyes in everyone which work on the margin of consciousness so that one does not see what they are doing. Okay. Let's narrow this down to, instead of there are very many clever self-harming eyes in everyone, let's start to look at it how it actually is. There are very many clever self-harming eyes in this, this thing, this thing that I call I. There are very many self-harming clever eyes in me. Forget about everyone else. They're in me. This is about me. This isn't about everyone else which work on the margin of consciousness so that I don't see what they're doing. Now we're drawing a bead on it. So now it's hiding. <laughs> no! Okay, yeah, so they probably are. That's right. I'm sure they are. They're on the margin of consciousness. What can I do about that? <laughs> to make matters worse, no one can tell us what the clever self-harming eyes are doing because we can be counted on to defend them. Why do we defend them? Because we think that we are them. We don't defend what is not ours. We only defend what is ours. If someone else's tree falls over in another county, you don't worry about it. It's not your tree. Unless, of course, you're somebody who sells firewood for a living and you've got to go cut up that tree and haul it off, then it's a different matter. Then it's your job. Now it's your own job and so you are involved in it, you're invested in it because now it's yours or it could be yours and you want to get it for yours. So this is what it's like. We defend them because they're ours. And we only defend that with which we have identified. Remember, identity is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. And it's from the Latin idem or idem, which means same. To identify is to make yourself the same as. It's to make yourself identical with. You make yourself identical with your car. You make yourself the same as your child. You make yourself the same as what people are saying about you, your reputation. You make yourself the same as your thoughts about yourself. You make yourself the same as your feelings about yourself. When you are not any of those things, those things are there, but you are not them. 
But when you make yourself the same as them, you are identified with them and you will defend them because you want to survive. Everything wants to survive. Stasis is not inherent in life. We don't know this for some reason. We don't know that stasis is not inherent in life. It's not a characteristic of life. Everything is moving. Everything is changing all the time in life. It doesn't stay still. It doesn't just stop. If we're not increasing our area of consciousness by observing ourselves, we will be unaware of the accumulative effect of internal consideration. Internal consideration isn't anything that falls on you like a piano from the third story. Internal consideration is like dust that just lights on you as you sit around or as you're walking through life. It just collects. It's not a big deal. It's not heavy. It's, not, it's something that is added to you so slightly, coach you so lightly over time that you never even notice it until finally it starts to move you. Internal consideration is, is like a suit. It's like a skin suit. It just coats you like this little coating of dust. And then the moisture makes it all cling together. And then it's like a coat of skin. So you've got this skin on you, this dust skin on you. And it's no big deal. It, it maybe hinders you a little bit from feeling some things, but not anything big. And it doesn't hinder your movement much at all. But over time, it gets thicker and thicker and thicker until finally it starts moving you. Then it becomes a suit of armor that's a magic suit of armor. It enters into you and it starts to move you. As it is, we are moved now by life, by this internal consideration suit that we have collected that's coated us until it finally becomes this magical suit of armor that starts to walk around by itself and we're stuck inside of it. And so someone walks into a room and we instantly dislike them. We move to the other side of the room. We avert our eyes. We don't want anything to do with them because we have all this internal consideration. Have you ever noticed that? That's a question. Yes. Nod your heads or do something, yes. You have noticed that about yourself, not about other people. I know we've all noticed it about other people, but have you noticed that you do that? That's internal consideration, and that's something that, like, it was like the, a couple of weeks ago, someone was here, and I said, oh, I can't deal with this now, and I did not even want to go near the person. But I bit the bullet and went and did it anyway. That's what I'm talking about. It's such a subtle thing until it finally takes you over. You don't even notice it until it takes you over. And then once it takes you over, you don't notice it at all. You just go with it because you think you are it. You think, well, this is what I'm doing now. And we have identified with it so closely, it's like our skin. We no longer see it as something separate from us. An explosion of negative emotions is the result of making half-conscious inner accounts over time. When I say half-conscious, I really mean half-conscious. We have a little bit of awareness about this. Not much, but a little bit of awareness about this. It's like Nicole said, which work on the margin of consciousness. I like that. Just like in the peripheral vision. It's like a shadow or, or a movement. You're aware of it, but you're not fully aware of it. You just know that something happened. And we live most of our lives that way. Recently, Pat told us a story about seeing someone who had left this group. And she was so happy to see him and went and, hi, oh, it's so good to see you, and hugged him and on and on. And then she started to talk to him about something that she had seen in herself, I guess some negative thing that she had seen about herself. And she said instantly he turned away and his face changed. And when he turned back, he was really angry. 
And he said, why does it always have to be negative? Something like that. Is that right? Did I get that partially right? If I can get it partially right, I'm pretty happy. Because who knows? I wasn't there. This is all secondhand. But let it just remind you of things like that that you have done and that have happened for you. That's really the issue here. It's not who did what. It's not that story. It is a pointer. It's to point to what you have seen, what you have experienced, what you have done in your life, so that you can be aware of that and observe that. You have that experience somewhere in your life. And she was upset. She thought, well, I really screwed up. I shouldn't have said anything to him. I was, it was my bad and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, so you were walking through a minefield blindfolded and you didn't know it. It's like, yeah, okay, yes, we shouldn't be walking through minefields blindfolded. Then if you walk through a minefield with your eyes wide open and you're looking and you step on the mine, then what? <laughs> Let's face it, in this life, people explode. Sometimes you trip the trigger and sometimes you didn't, but you don't know. It could be proximity explosion. It could be somebody else tripped a trigger over there. It blew up that mine, which connected to this mine, and six mines in the minefield blew up and one of them got you. Why does everything always have to be negative? The amazing thing about this is that I don't think Pat really saw it as that negative. She saw it as this is something that it does. And I saw it. I caught it doing it. I was so excited I caught it doing it. And I wanted to share that with you. But if you're not doing that yourself, if you're calling everything you find in yourself bad and wrong, when someone else does that, you hear them saying that they are bad and wrong. And when you hear that, it triggers that in you and your old associations and what walked you out the door. What walked that person out the door was that suit of armor. It wasn't the person. It was the suit of armor, that magical suit of armor called collected internal consideration. That's what it was. It was this collection of internal considerations that gradually over the years kept collecting like layer after layer of dust. You know, we have this layer of dust and, and then it rains and then it makes mud. And, you know, mud can be tough. And especially after it gets hard, it can really be tough to get off of things. You have to get it wet again. You have to make it flexible again. You have to add water to it. And what is water representative of? The truth. It's a level of truth. It's a second level of truth. It's very flexible. It cleanses things. It washes things away. It, it dilutes things. It makes them more flexible rather than so stiff and inflexible. You add water, you add the truth to anything in life, and it's going to make it, it's going to dilute it, it's going to make it more flexible, it's going to cleanse it. Really, that's what the dilution process is. Cleansing is really diluting. There is no such thing as cleansing. You can't wash anything completely away because there's nowhere for it to go. The water does, it can carry dirt out of your clothes, for example, but it doesn't carry it all out. It dilutes it so that it's something reasonable that you can live with. If you want more, you have to go to the wine level of truth, which stains you permanently. So most of us don't want that. On our lily-white idea of ourselves, we don't want any stains of truth. It wasn't the apparent irritation that triggered the explosion with this guy. That just set the chain reaction of bland minds long buried and forgotten. See, the great thing about leaving a group is you can bury and try and forget all of the things that you've collected there. And then it takes a reminder. You have to see one of the people from the group or somebody has to mention the group. And then those things flare up. But we don't see it as a collection of internal consideration. We justify it. And we say, yes, they did that. Yes, they were bad. Yes, they this, they that. That's all that group is about. They're always negative. And it's like, yeah, that's true. This group is always negative. There's no question about it. 
we love negative emotions. The only difference between this group and the chess club that meets on Saturday morning is that they're always negative and they're not working on it. That's all. They're always negative and they don't even know it and care. It doesn't mean a thing to them. They just live their lives that way. What we're trying to do is become aware of it, bring it into the light, expand our area of consciousness so that we see that we ask, yes, we are actually a lot more negative than we ever dreamed we could be. And we love our negative emotions a lot more than we ever dreamed we could. We're trying to expand our area of consciousness. We're trying to let more light on more area. So what does that mean? Instead of having an area the size of a desktop, we're trying to get an area the size of a dining room table with light on it. And then from there, we'll get the whole dining room lit up. And from there, maybe we'll go to another room. And from there, maybe we'll go to another room. So the kitchen's close to the dining room. We'll avoid that because we have too many things to defend in the kitchen. All that food that we like to eat that we must eat because we like it and all that food that we don't want to eat because we don't like it. Kitchen is one of the areas we avoid most of all because of our likes and dislikes. And our likes and dislikes are very strong when it comes to taste and comfort. And if you don't know that about yourself, it's because you're not turning the lights on in the kitchen. And if you're not turning the lights on in the kitchen, it's because you don't want to see what's in there. And that's all I'll say about that because I know that already they're getting the tomatoes ready to throw. And that's <laughs> never a pleasant thing because I don't really eat tomatoes that much. Allowing oneself to collect inner accounts has to lead to their discharge, either outwardly and what does that mean? Outwardly means scenes, shouts, rolling your eyes, making faces, <sighs> those things. It can be derisive laughter. <laughs> or it can be shamming. shamming. It can be sham wow. It can be sham. <laughs> it can be shamming a shower curtain. It can be slamming a shower curtain. You remember we had. Uh, <laughs> you remember? <laughs> Remember the girl that, that, that slammed the shower curtain? She was upset with her husband. Slam the shower curtain. And they can be that. And we all laughed because it was such a funny thing, such a funny scene. Or it can be that cold venom. So it doesn't have to really be an outward, big outward scene, big outward explosion. It can be an implosion. It can be that cold venom that just freezes things. Some people are masters at both, which is incredible to me. It's like, Wow. This person's ambidextrous. You know, they can do either way. They can do it in a big way outer, or they can really see, you know, that cold venom. Is anything more mystifying than remaining conscious enough not to completely identify with a negative state, and yet still notice the petty lying eyes at work? Lori said this the other day. <laughs> Lori talked about she went to get food someplace, and they didn't have the food that she wanted. And she blew up. Is that how? Blew up and started berating the employees for not having the food that she wanted. Really, you know, just rah, 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 rah. And she said she was like looking at this, seeing this happen and horrified that she was like watching a movie. Like this person was just doing this and it was all coming out of her mouth. And she was standing back looking at it going, oh, my God. I can't even stop this. Okay, by the way, you're laughing and shaking your heads. I, I, I imagine some of you have had that experience. Some of you more than others. Well, that is what I'm talking about. And you must admit, it is kind of mystifying. You start to realize, I can't do anything to stop this. And yet, I must. This is what we're faced with. You realize this, I can't do anything to stop this. And so you finally got to the point where you could separate from it enough where it finally ran itself out, which happened. I think it ran itself out. Yeah. Thank you for telling the truth. Usually that's how it works. It runs itself out and you're all out of energy. It's all out of energy. And then you, you go, oh my God. Yeah. And you go in and clean up after it. I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm sorry. And you are. 
you're sorry that those eyes got control of your mouth and used it. And you, the one who didn't say those things, you, the one who watched them, you're sorry. They aren't. They'll do it again next time. That's why they have to be kept under observation. That's the bottom line with them. They must be kept under observation. So why does it always have to be negative? Well, because we're always negative. And because if we don't keep it under observation, we'll live it. We'll just live it out and we'll never even know it. So what we do is we keep it under observation and we talk about it. And that irritates some people who can't separate from it. When they can't separate from it, they're being it. And when they're being it, it just becomes this huge weight that they can't carry around anymore and they must cast it off somehow. And there's only one way to cast it off, and that's unconsciously. You have to put it in the darkness where you can't see it. And then when someone from the group comes and shines a little light, and some of that light gets on there, what you've cast into the darkness, you go ballistic. The minefield starts. It blows up and starts a chain reaction. And then it's time to duck and cover. Isn't it, Lori? Yes. You know, it would be so great if we could see it coming. And we could just announce to people, duck and cover. Here it comes. I can't stop it. Duck and cover. I mean, really, think about it. Do you realize that would stop it? I mean, that would just stop it in its tracks, wouldn't it? Not for the other people, but for you, it would just stop it in its tracks because you would see it coming. And you would say, duck and cover, it's coming. We may clearly see the object of the little eyes is to destroy our happiness. We may see that. It's like... Look, these eyes, I think Steve says, they mean me no good. I mean, they mean me no good. They're, they're not looking out for me. There's a lot inside of me that thinks they are, but they're not, and I can see that they're not. So we may clearly see that the object of these little eyes is to destroy our happiness, to make us sick and miserable, and yet we still get sucked in by its power. And that's the amazing thing about it. It's really mystifying when you think about it. It's like, what? How? How, How does that work? But it works, and we know that much. We know that it does work that way. Never underestimate the power of negative states. Sometimes I think we really underestimate the power of negative states. Well, I'm only a little negative. Oh, no. There is no such thing as only a little negative. Only a little negative is murderous. Well, I'm only slightly annoyed. That means you want to kill. That means you're just a couple of steps away from murder. That's what that means. But, see, you don't believe that. When I say that, you don't believe that. No, that's not the way it is. Okay, fine. Then you do it your way. You do the work your way. You put aside what the work says and you revise it. We're revisionists. We revise what esoteric teachings say. We don't take them full strength. Oh, no. We dilute it. And what do we dilute it with? Our lies, our comfort, our self-love. We dilute it with our imagination. We don't dilute life with the truth. We dilute the truth with our imagination. But we could dilute life, not make it so strong, not make it so powerful. With the water truth, we could add the truth to life. We could make the truth the neutralizing force to life, but we don't. What we do is we make life and our imagination the neutralizing force to the work and to the truth. And that does not work for us. That works against us. But it makes it more palatable, and we can leave the group. You can go and live your life. It's not such a pressing thing. Now, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to go back to sleep. It's not so bad. I'm awake. I'm more awake than I've ever been. I've learned this stuff. I don't have to worry about that. You see how we dilute the truth of esotericism says, no, you are asleep. You spend your entire life in sleep. You imagine that you're awake. And we dilute it. We dilute it with our imagination. We say, no, 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 it's not that bad. It's not that important. It's not that pressing. I'm not going to die tomorrow. It's not my final hour. I still have plenty of time. 
The thing about the power of negative states is their attraction makes us miserable and unhappy again and again, even though we know they will. We know that it will, and yet we go into it again and again and again, over and over again, just as if we'd never seen it before. And even when we do, we smack our heads and we say, I did it again. Why did I do it again? And this is one of the mysteries of us. When we take ourselves and others as a unity, we can't awaken. Do you ever get annoyed with somebody, a person? Yes, what a silly question. It's because you've taken that person as one. If you have taken that person as a unity, it is an absolute sign that you take yourself as a unity, that you see yourself as one person. And if you see yourself as one person, you are asleep, and you will remain asleep for as long as you do that. That's the way that is. We are such suggestible fools and imbeciles that negative states don't even have to hide their machinations. They don't even have to hide what they do. We're such morons when it comes to being awake. We are so asleep that they don't even have to hide. They can do it all right in front of us. It's like we're anesthetized. It's like a local anesthesia. They put you on the operating table and they just localize you. They just put that part of your body to sleep. And then they get out all the scalpel and all this stuff and they start cutting and sawing and doing all these things and stitching. And you're just watching them, unable to do anything about it. And that's what it's like for us, except that the morons doing the surgery are crazy little eyes with knives and bombs and chainsaws and horrible things that they use in our lives. And that's why the world looks like it looks. Oh, but the world's not so bad. Have another look. If I praise your efforts, you're so pleased you could pop. You may look down, kick the dirt and say, oh, shucks. But it's a ploy because the bottom line is if I praise your efforts, good job, good observation. You're ready to pop. You're so happy. It's because we take ourselves as one that we ascribe to ourselves negative emotions and everything else. Well, the everything else is being pleased. Good job, Pat. You observe that about yourself. <gasps> oh, oh, she won't do that in an outer way. She'll kick the ground, go, oh, shucks. Smile, say thank you. But the truth is, that's what she works for. The truth is, that's what we want. It's like, as long as you want that... You think you're one. And as long as you think you're one, you're asleep. When we take ourselves as a unity of being, every thought, every feeling, every sensation, every mood, depression, every memory, we think is our own. Idem. We identify with them. We make them the same as us. We make them the same as ourselves. And what does that mean? The same as our feeling of I. We put our feeling of I into sensations. We put our feeling of I into a depression. We put our feeling of I into a memory. When you have no idea if the memory ever happened. One of my favorite cartoonists was a guy named Ashley Brilliant years ago. He wrote one time, some of my favorite memories never happened. And I never forgot that because it was so true. Of all of us, some of our favorite memories never happened. I've told stories from my youth so many times that I don't know if they ever happened or not. And I certainly don't know how they happened. All I know is that the story now tells itself. It's not me telling a story. It's the story tells itself. You'll see people who are storytellers. They're very animated. And you'll see them start to go into this anime. Their face will do this. Their hands will do that. They are not there. The story is telling them. And it's showtime. They're on stage. The lights are on. And the story is just telling itself. And it's an eye. It's an eye that's a storyteller eye, and it just gets up and acts this whole thing out for people. And they laugh, or they go, oh, and they do all the appropriate stuff, and it feeds on that. It feeds on that, gets stronger and bigger, and then we identify with it. That's how it works.
When we ascribe our good thoughts to ourselves, we're bound to ascribe the evil ones to ourselves as well. If you ascribe your virtues to yourself, you're going to ascribe the other stuff to yourself as well. There's no way to get around it. So if you ascribe anything to yourself, you must ascribe everything to yourself. The only thing then to do is to fragment yourself by putting things away and not ascribing them to yourself. You'll ascribe something to yourself, but you won't like it, so you'll hide it from yourself. And you become, rather than becoming more and more, you become less and less. Your area of consciousness shrinks instead of expands. So rather than becoming more, you become less. Now, this is not a good thing. We'll be identified with everything that goes on inside of us. That's what happens when we take ourselves as one then everything that happens inside of us we have to be identified with because there's no one else. But if you don't take yourself as one, then you don't have to identify. If you have this and that, then this can belong to this and that can belong to that. Everything doesn't have to go into one place. But when you take yourself as one, everything goes into one place. Everything is yours. Bruce Nicole said, this is a deeply wrong idea to have of oneself. I love this. It is a life idea of oneself. It is a terrible idea that causes endless, unnecessary, and useless suffering. Which idea? The idea that we are one. We're talking about the idea that I am one unity of being. A person under the illusion of unity ascribes everything to himself, certain that he is one, certain that he is a single person, certain that he is a unity, certain that he has a real I. Not that he has a real I, but that he is a real I. Yes, I am a real person. And he goes to great lengths to prove to the world that he is a real person. Sound familiar? He'll be assured that all he says, everything that he promises, all the vows that he makes are true and will be kept. It's funny when you think about it. Even after developing some work memory through proper self-observation, we continue to imagine that we can do. How does this happen? It doesn't matter how it happens. What matters is that you see it that you bring it to consciousness more and more often and that you keep it in the light longer and longer every time you can bring it into the light. Hold it there longer. Keep your attention there longer. Burn it into your work memory deeper or more deeply. The work is like a seed that lies dormant until it's buried in the earth. In a tomb in Egypt, they found a jar of 4,000-year-old wheat that was still viable. That really fascinated me when I heard that. Wow. Here's this jar of wheat that they had sealed buried with this person so that he could have wheat in the afterlife. When they opened it up, they checked the wheat, and they found that it was still viable. It would still sprout and grow after 4,000 years. This work is like that. We hear, in order to develop, we must divide ourselves into two parts, an observing and an observed side. You've heard that over and over and over again. Convinced we're in charge of our lives and all that we think and all that we do, we can't make the cut. We can't make the split. We can't make the division. That's really what we're talking about. A division is a cut. You need to cut yourself into two. You need to take what is now whole and cut it into two. It's no wonder people don't want to do this. You must actually end up doing surgery on yourself. You must divide yourself or, as Solomon said, you know, divide the living child in two. No! the mother screamed no why did the mother scream no and the other woman who wasn't really the mother why did she not scream no she said yes that's right cut the child in half she wasn't identified that's right she didn't care if the kid was cut in two but the real mother was identified and that's how solomon knew who the real mother was remember the story when we take the story all wrong we take the story as oh yes the real mother was identified and solomon was so wise and and that's all true 
But on another level, if you're not identified, living children can be cut in two and you don't have to spend your whole life mourning over it. Guess what? Living children are cut in two every day. Non-identification is insulation. It doesn't mean you have no compassion. It doesn't mean you don't care. It's not the same thing. It's not being it. It's not being the same as it. But that's not for us right now. We can't seem to get over the illusion that we're one. So we continually ascribe everything to ourselves. Don't listen to these words. Look at the truth of them in your life. You must be able to see that this illusion is so powerful. Every time you're reminded of it, it's like, no way. I can't. I know I'm not one. I know I'm not one. And yet, if you look at your life, you know that you think you're one. You imagine that you're one all the time. When we have negative emotion, we ascribe it to ourselves and our arrogance of being one. We say I to it. We can't seem to shift I. See, there's just a slight little movement in the violin case that we've got to make, but we can't seem to do that. So we say, I am negative. I am angry. I'm upset. I'm depressed. I'm not feeling so good right now. I'm feeling nauseous. I'm feeling I have a headache. I this, I that. We've not divided ourselves into two, an observing side and an observed side. Once in a while, we do make the cut and we say, I observe a negative emotion in me. And it's a great day, isn't it? (laughs) It's just a great day. It's like, I've observed a negative emotion in me. Somebody else gets all upset over it. Patty goes all excited to this guy and she says, I've observed a negative emotion in me. Why does it always have to be negative? (laughs) I don't know. Why are you negative? (laughs) I'm not negative. You're negative. Is that. It's like, okay, time to walk away, get out of the minefield or duck and cover. We don't say I to it. If we say I to it, we can't resist its power. And we've all seen that leads to the minefield for ourselves and others. So work on this. Work on not saying I to every single thing that comes into your head. Pick some area. Maybe it'll be thoughts. Maybe it'll be feelings. Maybe it'll be sensations. And stop saying I to it. I observe a sensation on my skin. I observe a sensation in my head. I observe a sensation in my stomach. I observe that. Okay, I observe a sensation. You're used to Vipassana meditation, so you're used to observing sensations. Carry that through the day. Or pick thoughts, or pick feelings, whatever, moods. I observe this mood in myself. I observe this feeling. I observe this thought. Try working on that. We won't work for long. Nothing does. With us, nothing works for long. It's just a matter of time before it's turned into something else, before it's turned mechanical and we go back to sleep. This is why I don't give out a lot of exercises. People talk in the work about the exercises and this and that. That's fine. And they're useless. They work for a little while and then you need to change it. Why not just get used to, instead of somebody giving you exercises to do and you becoming dependent upon them, like your dealer, like your drug dealer, you work on making the exercises yourself. You work on taking these ideas and making your own scaffolding and exercises to deal with them with yourself. Because you know what you want to work on and what you don't want to work on. So deal with that in your way. You know enough to be able to make up your own exercises. You don't need to hear them from someone else. And not only that, but they won't last that long anyway. And they'll never be yours. They'll never be completely yours unless you come up with them. When you see something about yourself, it certainly is different than what somebody else told you about it, isn't it? And that's the same with the exercises. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, 
I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.